This is the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. Bow his head at Calvary. 
This is part five of our series that we're calling Restart, and um, you know, if you haven't gotten in on it or if you're listening to the live stream or on radio, you can catch every one of our uh, these lessons. Just go to eldochurch.com and follow the links there, and you can get plugged in there. In each lesson, I've been reminding us that our faith must have a starting point. We don't become right with God just because. I mean, just because we're Americans or just because our parents were God-fearing people, just because we're politically conservative or just because we listen to Fox News, just because we say a prayer every day, just because we've never committed adultery or stolen anything or cheated the IRS, just because we belong to a certain church, our faith must have a starting point. And most of us have had that starting point. For many of us, it took place early in life where little by little the foundation began to take shape. We began to learn a little bit about God's character through songs such as, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. And songs such as, red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in His sight. Or, deep and wide, there's a fountain flowing deep and wide. We learn that Jesus still noticed, even though Zacchaeus was a wee little man, a wee little man was he. And then came the day when we said our first prayer. And for some of us, those early prayers were pretty simple. They were memorized prayers. God is great. God is good. Let us thank him for our food. Or or now I lay me down to sleep. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) But then came the big day when many of us prayed, Dear Jesus, I'm a sinner. Forgive me of my sins. Come and live in my heart. Well, even though that made a difference in our lives, yet as we got older, you know, as the Apostle Paul talked about in the book of Romans, we wanted to do what was right, but yet on occasion we found ourselves still doing bad stuff. You know, we would tell something, but not the whole truth. Or we would take something that wasn't ours, maybe a piece of candy from a store, or, or like I did as a little tyke in pre-elementary days, I took a pair of fingernail clippers from my uncle's house. Man, I had so many sleepless nights over a stupid pair of fingernail clippers. Oh. Or then in high school, we couldn't resist the temptation to experiment with drugs or alcohol or even sex. 
Well, then we became married adults and our wrongs got bigger with bigger consequences and bigger guilt and bigger shame and bigger embarrassment. And those wrongs led to our having a secret compartment that was off limits to everybody else. You know, we hoped that nobody would ask us why we dropped out of college because we didn't want to have to admit that our party lifestyle had caught up with us. Or we hoped that nobody would ask us why our first marriage blew up because we didn't want to admit to that affair or maybe being addicted to pornography. Or we hoped that no one would ask why we got canned from our job because we didn't want to admit that we had stolen from the workplace. Or we hoped that no one asked why we moved from our home that we owned to a rental because we didn't want to admit that we hadn't managed our finances well and had declared bankruptcy. Or sometimes guilt flooded us because we wish we would have been a better father or a better mother. Or, or we wish that we would have spent less time at work, more time at home. Or, or less time watching our movies and being on social media and more time playing with the kids. And so many of us, at least during certain periods of our lives, have carried around a lot of guilt and shame. And some of us tried to drink away that guilt. Others of us tried to medicate it away. Others of us just isolated ourselves away so we wouldn't have to be around people. Some of us just worked harder to forget it. Some of us even tried to justify it. You know, I was just young and didn't really know better. Or or I was just drunk and didn't normally get that way. But I was depressed and did something that that really wasn't me. Or or I got mad, angry, and I just kind of lost control or... Or I was lonely and so I looked at stuff that I know I shouldn't have looked at. Or I was broke and and so I didn't mean to hurt anybody, but I took some stuff that wasn't mine. But regardless of the cause, a feeling that I think most all of us can relate to is the feeling of shame, guilt. And it just kind of hangs over us like a low-hanging cloud. And we wonder, is there anything that can help us get rid of that guilt? Is is there anything that can wash away my shame? Well, today let me just say that every religious system offers a solution to your guilt. It doesn't matter which religion you choose, they offer a solution. But I want to be clear, while every religion offers some sort of, well, here's how to deal with your guilt, and here's some steps that you can take, and, you know, do this, go here, think about this, follow this mental exercise, and your shame will gradually disappear, and you will be able to move forward. But in recorded history, and this is a staggering thought, only one person has ever stepped forward and said, I don't simply have a solution, I am the solution. Now, frankly, whoever would say something like that is insane, arrogant, lying, or maybe someone we should actually pay attention to. So let's look at this matter. We're going to turn to the book of John. You've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. And the writer of the book of, of John tells us early on about another man named John. This other man named John showed up in Judea, took on the name of John the Baptist. Now, the reason he was John the Baptist was not because he was a Baptist. Okay, for you former Baptists, uh, you know, sorry uh, to, to burst your bubble if you're listening on, on the radio and you're a Baptist. Uh, I, I believe the Baptist organization surfaced uh, first in the early to mid-1600s, I believe around 1640. 
So John was not the first Baptist, but he was John the Baptist because he did something that was not a common practice back then. Here's some background for this. In the first century, if, if someone wanted to change religions or specifically become Jewish, they had to go through a ceremonial cleansing and they called it baptism. So, so the concept of baptism wasn't new in itself. But, but the strange thing was that John the Baptist or John the baptizer was breaking with tradition. He wasn't telling people to go through a ceremonial cleansing where they would, in essence, kind, you know, kind of just baptize themselves which would have been typical in that day. But, but John the Baptist was, was actually very involved in their baptisms. Once they believed, came to faith, and wanted to be baptized, he would then physically lead them into the water, immerse them underneath the water, signifying that they had shed their old life for a new. And, and so because of that and reason and others, John the Baptist became such an intriguing figure that many, many, many people from the surrounding areas flooded the Jordan River Basin to see him and hear him speak. In fact, listen to how the, go- the Gospel of Mark, and you don't need to, you're, you're in John, stay in John, but just the Gospel of Mark describes the crowds this way in Mark 1.5. It says, the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him. Now, this is a very interesting little snippet. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to meet him. Now, I don't think this was necessarily a literal statement, meaning that every single solitary person in Judea and Jerusalem went there. It was probably like when your kids used to say, or maybe still say, but dad, but mom everybody's going to the party, whatever. Well, you know that not everybody's going, but what they mean is that most of their friends are going to be there. And so they say, everybody's going. And probably that was the case here. It probably wasn't everybody, but, but, but more than likely, it wasn't just a few dozen scattered around. And in fact, it was probably not just hundreds But the reality that it was probably thousands and thousands of people that had made their way out to this remote part of the country. And understand, (laughs) John the Baptist was not holding his services at an air-conditioned convention center in Jerusalem. No, he was in a desert area in and around the Jordan River Basin. It was not a very user-friendly place. It did not have a beautiful campground with hookups for RVs and nice log cabins. Not to mention that to get there was a pain. In fact, if you've ever traveled to Israel, um, by the way, those of you that are going with Israel here in what, three months or so, you'll get to see the approximate area where John was. And, and you'll even have an opportunity if you choose to be baptized in the Jordan River. But this was an area that by helicopter, as the crow flies, would have probably been about 20 miles from Jerusalem. But at this time, they didn't have helicopters. And so they had to walk, and it would have been closer to 40 miles. So they would have to get up way before the sun would come up, walk in the blistering desert heat for a couple of days, and finally get to the Jordan River after the sun would set on the second day. But anyway, huge, huge crowds, probably thousands and and thousands of people flooded this area to hear John the Baptist preach. Now, now John the Baptist was in some ways like Bear Grylls. Anybody ever hear Bear, Bear Grylls? You need to get to know Bear Grylls, okay? 
Uh, I love Bear Grylls. He's an adventurer that, that sometimes takes people to incredibly remote destinations, and, and they, at least on television, and so it's got to be true, uh, you, they, they rough it. It's kind of like the Internet. If it's on television, it's got to be true. But, uh, you know, they rough it, and they eat bugs and deal with the elements with minimal gear. And, and honestly, this show is almost as good as Walker, Texas Ranger, so you need to watch it, okay? Um, but, but in my mind, I, I, I kind of compare John the Baptist to Bear Grylls. I mean, he was eccentric. He ate locusts and wild honey. Now, most of us could do the wild honey part. Wild locusts would probably separate the men from the boys. I, I'm sorry, the women from the girls, whatever. <laughs> Got to be correct here, gender correct. But John the Baptist also dressed in camel's hair which means that he didn't look like the typical preacher, whatever that look is. And, and today, because we've made looks and appearance so important, we probably would have just dismissed this guy as some wacko. But John the Baptist was so compelling. He had even piqued the interest of the upper echelon of religious leaders in Jerusalem. They were asking, could this guy be the Messiah? Yeah, he's kind of strange in some ways, but most preachers are. Don't say amen. But nobody that we can remember in our lifetime has ever drawn a crowd like this. I mean, even city slickers are going out to this remote and rugged area to hear hear and speak. Well, as the saying goes, curiosity killed the cat. And, and, And so the religious leaders said, we need to go check him out. But they were too proud or too lazy or whatever, to go themselves. So they sent a delegation to go hear this man that had captured the attention of the entire country. And this delegation probably slipped up incognito and listened to one of his sermons. And and they had been given the assignment to talk to this man. And so after one of the servants, they probably got in line, worked their way up to him. We're finally going to pick up our reading. John chapter 1, verse 19 reads like this. This was the testimony of John when the Jewish leaders sent priests and temple assistants from Jerusalem. That's the delegation, priests, temple assistants from Jerusalem, to ask John whether he claimed to be the Messiah. So it was almost like uh, they said, John, we're going to just cut to the chase. You've drawn one big crowd. The city's empty. The whole Judean countryside has come to hear you. So cutting to the chase, are you the Messiah? Verse 20, he flatly denied it. I am not the Messiah, he said. So, so they said, okay, here's another question. If you're not the Messiah, then verse 21, well, then who are you? They asked, are you Elijah? No, he replied. Well, are you the prophet? No. Well, these guys knew they had to go back and give some kind of report to the religious leaders that had sent them. So they got desperate in verse 22. Then who are you? Tell us so we can give an answer to those who sent us. What do you have to say about yourself? Well, John, you know, kind of the typical preacher couldn't give a direct answer. He had to take the scenic route. And so in verse 23, John replied in the words of Isaiah, I'm a voice shouting in the wilderness. Prepare a straight pathway for the Lord's coming. In other words, I'm on a mission. I'm trying to prepare the way for the Lord. I'm not the Lord. I'm not the Messiah. I'm not even Elijah. 
I am just a voice trying to prepare the way for the Lord. Verse 24, then those who were sent by the Pharisees asked him, if you aren't the Messiah or Elijah or the prophet, what right do you have to baptize? You know, they were basically saying, okay, what are your credentials? If you're not the Messiah, you're not Elijah, you're not the prophet, what right do you have to baptize people? They might have even said, are you licensed or are you ordained as a preacher? Well, John says in verse 26, I baptize with water. But among you stands one you do not know. He is the one who comes after me, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. So John basically said, you, you think I'm something? You think I know how to draw a big crowd? You think my insights <clears throat> are, are unique? You think I've got something interesting to say? Well, there's someone who is alive right now. There's someone among you. He's not in a country clear across the world. He's one of you. And soon he will come onto the scene. He will be so far beyond me. I won't even be worthy to untie his shoes. In other words, what he was saying, I'm not even worthy, worthy to be his servant. He's that far above me. Well, then John, not John the Baptist, but the other John, you know, the one who took care of Jesus' mother, the one who gave us the gospel of John, he tells us that the very next day, John the Baptist was preaching again. And what was he preaching? Something good is going to happen to you? No. What was he preaching? You will be blessed? No. Was he preaching God is love? Nope. Was he preaching politics? Nope. He was preaching repent, repent, repent. And, and by the way, if you read his message, you'll see that it's not seeker sensitive. Okay. He was not following what pastors think today. Well, you know, we've got to be careful or we'll make people mad and run them off. That's what we think. Do you mind if we have just a moment of levity? Would you allow that in church? Is that okay? Could we just take a vote here? You know, I came across something that is just, this kind of reminds me of maybe the way that John the Baptist would have been. Let's roll that video, guys. from the book of Proverbs. If I may digress for a moment from my prepared message, I mean it when I say to you, you guys, sometimes you're bad. Don't be jerks. You're supposed to be good. I'm in my office every day, and somebody comes in, and they're like, hey, whoops. I'm like, don't. Dan, what is your deal? If anybody doesn't know, Dan is the worst. I took a vow to not say who was the worst, but it's Dan. You guys are making me look bad in front of God. What's that? Oh, look, it's Jesus. And he said, stop it. The word of the Lord.
know, John the Baptist went for the juggler. You know, he called them snakes. He said, you are like snakes in the grass. But, but you know what? The people kept coming back. That's what's amazing. And here's something that I've discovered. Guilt is almost like a religious experience for some people. And, and I mean, the more guilt that some people feel in church, the closer to God they feel. Now, they don't necessarily do anything about it when they leave. You know, I found that sometimes when I preach a serious sermon, people will come up and say, Oh, pastor, that was a great sermon. If I would ask them, why do you say that? Well, because you made me feel guilty. And so I'm sure God spoke through you. Then again, most people go out and still do whatever they want to do, but that's off topic. But John the Baptist made everybody feel worthless. You know, you're a bunch of snakes. You need to repent, all of you. Well, in, in the, the next day, he's in the middle of all these people and he's preaching. You, you guys are snakes. Repent, repent. And, and suddenly he stops. And he says, look, look, kids. Shh, shh. Hey, you back there. Shh. Look, everybody look. And the King James Version says, behold. But really, it just means look. Let me read it for you. Verse 29, the next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, look, behold, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, because lambs were a common part of the culture back then, everybody probably started looking for a lamb. And, and actually in the Greek language, and this is so cool, there's no of. And, and so literally, instead of being the Lamb of God, it's the God Lamb. The God lamb. And for 1,500 years, this had been a culture where when someone sinned, someone had to die. When someone sinned, then something had to pay for that. And you would kill a lamb and, and drain the blood and offer it as an atonement for your sin. But now John the Baptist, this is so awesome. He's saying, look, behold, the God lamb. God has sent a lamb who takes away and... And, and I learned something that's so cool. I'm, I'm sure Pastor Beckham learned this when he was in grade school, but it took me a while to learn it. And where it says the Lamb of God who takes away in the Greek, in, in the original language of the New Testament, where it says the Lamb of God who takes away, that's literally who lifts up and carries off. The God Lamb who lifts up and carries off, who lifts up and carries off. Isn't that amazing? Who lifts up and carries off. Who lifts up and carries off. And could we just say that together on the count of three? One, two, three. Who lifts up and carries off. Again, who lifts up and carries off. Again, who lifts up and carries off. John the Baptist is saying, God has sent a lamb. And he's going to lift up and carry away the sin of the whole world. He's going to lift up and carry away Jewish sins. He's going to lift up and carry away Roman sins. He's going to lift up and carry away American sins. He's going to lift up and carry away European sins. He's going to lift up and carry away your sin. He's going to lift up and carry away my sin. He's going to lift up and carry away the sin of the entire world. And when John said this, I have a feeling that everybody was like, huh? Yeah, that's interesting, John. And then they would change the subject. By the way, after you baptize me a little later on, could you baptize my daughter? She's coming all the way from Jerusalem and we'll be here a little bit later on. Would you please baptize her? And the people probably had no idea what he meant about God sending a lamb to lift up 
and carry away the sin of the world. Let's fast forward three years or so. Jesus has been on the scene for three years. He's performed miracle after miracle. He's changed lives. The days would come when he's arrested. All his friends and colleagues run away. Jesus is beaten. And remember that phrase, lift up and carry off. That came to pass. There is the God lamb who comes to take away, lift up and carry off the sins of the world. Lift up and carry off the sins of the world. So can we just circle back to one of our opening comments, questions, what can take away our shame and guilt? You certainly can't. I can't. We've tried. Religion can't. Alcohol can't. It may deaden it for a while. Certain things can distract us for a while. Some things can make us feel better for a while. But what can pick up and carry off our sin and shame? The God Lamb. 20 years later, after the crucifixion and the resurrection, the Apostle Paul would write a letter to a group of Christians in a brand new church. Listen to what he says. It so goes along with what John the Baptist said in Colossians chapter 2. He said, he forgave all our sins. Can I read that again? He forgave all our sins. And Paul, to make sure they didn't miss the implications of, of being forgiven, he goes on in verse 14, he says, he canceled the record that contained the charges against us. So in other words, our sin that that caused us to have a file full of charges against us. What happened to the record of those charges against us? He took it and destroyed it by nailing it to Christ's cross. Remember, he picked it up and carried it away. Picked it up and carried it away. And so if you... If you want to spend the rest of your life trying to figure out how to get rid of your guilt... How to move on? How to erase your shame? It's up to you. If you want to look for some religious system that will give you good advice, there are plenty of good religious systems out there that will give you advice. But don't forget, there's only one person in history who stepped up and said there's no system, no religion, no process, no newfound discipline that will truly get rid of shame. Rather, he said, I, the God lamb, have come to pick up and carry away the sins of the world, including yours, including mine. So you say, okay, Joe, what then do I do uh, with all these memories? I mean, they drag me down, they haunt me. You know, what happened in high school or what happened in that season in college or what happened... You know, that ended my first marriage or whatever it was. You know, every time I think about it, I think failure, condemned, guilt, shame. Failure, condemned, guilt, shame. Failure, condemned, guilt, shame. So, Joe, what can I do with those memories that just drag me down? Friday, I read an article about Alexander the Great. During one battle, his troops, after many victories, looked like they were about to be defeated and And what had happened was that his soldiers had taken so much plunder from their previous campaigns that they had become weighted down. And 
and they were losing their effectiveness in combat and Alexander the Great commanded that all of the spoils of the war from their previous battles they were to be thrown into a heap and burned and the men complained bitterly at first but soon saw the wisdom and someone wrote it was as if wings had been given to them they walked lightly again they fought without restriction and victory was secured I personally know that memories of the past can weigh us down I know that and so our Heavenly Father invites us to build some new memorials to our past and so from now on when you think about your past and you think about your guilt and your shame they no longer need to be a reminder of your failure from now on they can stand as a reminder to God's forgiveness to God's grace to God's love because Christ picked it up and carried it away so if I were to say Paul you are essentially a murderer you had Stephen murdered so Paul what can wash away your sin and shame he would say nothing but the blood of Jesus how about you Peter I mean you denied Jesus you denied the faith you cursed what can wash away your sin he would say nothing but the blood of Jesus James the brother of Jesus you know James you dogged your brother you didn't even believe in him until the end it took a resurrection to convince you James so James what do you think will wash away your sin nothing but the blood of my brother Jesus so you do not have to carry around your guilt the rest of your life because Jesus picked it up and carried it away and if God doesn't condemn you come on if God doesn't condemn you who are you to condemn you and I think the question here this morning is has there ever been a moment in your life when you've received forgiveness the New Testament teaches us and tells us that when we place our trust in the fact that Christ's death paid for our sins we're giving given a right standing with God so today and again I realize that a lot of us have had that start early in life but maybe there's some people here that have kind of just backed away you need a restart that's what this series is all about you know as we we get complacent we get lukewarm we, we get kind of cool in our walk with God and sometimes we got to go back and do a restart and so maybe there are some people here this morning that you need a restart and you need to come back to God and say, God, I'm so full of guilt. I'm so full of shame. And, and I want to bring that to you today. And I want you to just cleanse me, not only forgive me, but cleanse me. If you want to do that, God is here waiting with open arms. If you want to receive Jesus as your Savior, he's waiting with open arms. So this morning, I'm going to just ask you to stand. Everyone standing, nobody looking around, just eyes closed. Is there someone that would say, Joe, I'll admit I have some guilt and I want to give it to God today. You want to just raise your hand? And thank you. I see your hand. Anybody else? I just want to give my guilt to God. Thank you. I see your hand. I know I'm carrying some stuff from the past. Not past. I know that God has forgiven me, but I'm still carrying that. 
I want to just give that to him. Let him pick it up and carry away. Thank you. Thank you. I see your hand. Maybe there's someone that would like to just come forward and pray. And You know, this is a safe place. And you want to just come and you don't want to confess anything to us. But maybe there's some people here that would like to just come and say, I'd like for a couple people to gather around. I just feel like I need to pray. And anyone want to do that before we have our closing prayer? Lord, I want to thank you for your word. I want to thank you for the God land. The God land that picks up and carries away the sin of the world. I want to thank you so much that, God, we don't have to carry around our guilt and there will always be some regrets in life. But Father, we want to just bring you our sin. We want to bring you our shame. And Lord, we ask forgiveness if there are some that haven't asked for forgiveness. I pray that right now as, as they're doing so, and Lord, those, those regrets of the past, those sins, that shame, the, just the guilt that hangs over us like a low-hanging cloud, I pray that today you would just take that pick it up and carry it away and Lord that we would experience peace and that we would experience cleansing Lord that we would experience a right relationship with you and so Father right now I just want to give you Lord I want to give you our lives and Lord I want to give you our sin our shame condemnation and Lord I pray that right now you would just replace that with peace and gratitude and Lord instead of a memorial of shame and guilt that there would be a memorial of your grace thank you father thank you for just the redemption thank you for the atonement lord uh, as we go this week i pray that we would live in the light of this truth we love you we thank you we pray that you would give us the power as that song says to make us what we ought to be Lord, for what you do for us, we will praise you and thank you. We ask this in the name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. And all of God's people said, amen. And then before you leave, if somebody needs to talk, if somebody needs to pray, maybe you don't want to do it today, um, call our church office. We'd love to meet with you and just, uh, or find someone that you've got confidence in. It doesn't have to be a staff member. Some, some, find somebody that you know knows Jesus, loves Jesus, and, and just talk with him, pray together. It is best. Thank you. You've been listening to the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. Our messages are archived at www.eldochurch.com or to order compact discs or DVD videos of the messages, call the church at 417-876-2200. Thank you for listening.